Section 18 of Word Portraits of Famous Writers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dale Pooley. Word Portraits of Famous Writers, edited by Mabel E. Watton. Thomas Campbell, 1777-1844 From Lee Hunt's Autobiography They who knew Mr. Campbell only as the author of Gertrude of Wyoming and The Pleasures of Hope would not have suspected him to be a merry companion, overflowing with humour and anecdote, and anything but fastidious. When I first saw this eminent person, he gave me the idea of a French Virgil. Not that he was like a Frenchman, much less the French translator of Virgil. I found him as handsome as the Abbé de Lille is said to have been ugly. But he seemed to me to embody a Frenchman's ideal notion of the Latin poet. Something a little more cut and dry than I had looked for. Compact and elegant, critical and acute, with a consciousness of authorship upon him a taste over-anxious not to commit itself, and refining and diminishing nature as in a drawing-room mirror. This fancy was strengthened in the course of conversation by his expatiating on the greatness of Racine. I think he had a volume of the French poet in his hand. His skull was sharply cut and fine, with plenty, according to the phrenologists, both of the reflective and amative organs and his poetry will bear them out. For a lettered solitude, and a bridal properly got up, both according to law and luxury, commend us to the lovely Gertrude of Wyoming. His face and person were rather on a small scale, his features regular, his eyes lively and penetrating, and when he spoke, dimples played about his mouth, which, nevertheless, had something restrained and close in it. Some gentle Puritans seem to have crossed the breed, and to have left a stamp on his face, such as we often see in the female Scotch face, rather than in the male. But he appeared not at all grateful for this, and when his critiques and his Virgilianism were over, very unlike a Puritan he talked, he seemed to spite his restrictions, and, out of natural largeness of his sympathy with things high and low, to break at once out of Delille's Virgil, into Cotton's, like a boy let loose from school. When I had the pleasure of hearing him afterwards, I forgot his Virgilianisms, and thought only of the delightful companion, the unaffected philanthropist, and the creator of a beauty worth all the heroines in Racine. About 1809. From Patmore's Sketch from Real Life the person of this exquisite writer and delightful man is small, delicately formed, and neatly put together, without being little or insignificant. His face has all the harmonious arrangement of features which marks his gentle and refined mind. It is oval, perfectly regular in its details, and lighted up not merely by eyes of youth, but by a bland smile of intellectual serenity that seems to pervade and penetrate all the features, and impart to them all a corresponding expression, such as the moonlight lends to a summer landscape. 
the moonlight, not the sunshine, for there is a mild and tender pathos blended with that expression, which bespeaks a soul that has been steeped in the depths of human woe, but has turned their waters, as only poets can, into fountains of beauty and of bliss. From Beattie's Life and Letters of Thomas Campbell He was generally careful as to dress, and had none of Dr. Johnson's indifference to fine linen. His wigs were always nicely adjusted and scarcely distinguishable from natural hair. His appearance was interesting and handsome. Though rather below the middle size, he did not seem little, and his large dark eye and countenance bespoke great sensibility and acuteness. His thin quavering lip and delicate nostril are highly expressive. When he spoke, as Lee Hunt has remarked, dimples played about his mouth, which, nevertheless, had something restrained and close in it. In personal neatness and fastidiousness, no less than in genius and taste, Campbell in his best days resembled Gray. Each was distinguished by the same careful finish in composition. The same classical predilections and lyrical fire, rarely but strikingly displayed. In ordinary life, they were both somewhat finical, yet with greater freedom and idiomatic plainness in their unreserved communications, Gray's being evinced in his letters, and Campbell's in conversation. End of section 18